Hebrews 6, uh, starting in verse number 1. The Bible says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, and of laying on of hands, and of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again under repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it, and bringeth forth herbs meet for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected, and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you, things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. You can be seated tonight. Heavenly Father, we need a touch from you tonight. We need help in these verses of Scripture. The Lord to be able to expound upon these verses of Scripture and to rightly divide the Word of God tonight. We know that your Word is truth, and we know that you made no mistake in what it is that you had to say to us. And God is your mouthpiece tonight. I want to speak as of the oracles of God. I have no desire, Father, to implement my own ideas or ideologies into uh, the preaching tonight. But I need you to help me, God, to take exactly what you had to say. And God, be able to provide it to your sheep tonight. I ask God that you'd help me to do that. And we'll be sure, Father, to give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory for it all. In Jesus' name, we ask these things and do beg of you. Amen and amen. Don't know really what it is about today that's caused me to have to deal with verses of Scripture that rarely are dealt with, but uh, that seems to be kind of the thing that we're dealing with uh, today. And as we were dealing with uh, Melchizedek uh, this morning, we made the remark that not very often do you hear much about Melchizedek in the Word of God or preached from concerning the Word of God. Uh, however, uh, we're going to deal with these verses of Scripture in Hebrews chapter number 6. Now, you will find that, uh, as we stated uh, about some things this morning concerning that of Melchizedek, uh, there are commentators that will, uh, even Bible-believing, independent Baptist commentators, uh, that will have different viewpoints, but they leave out little bits and pieces uh, of the Word of God that will allow them to form their opinions rather than take everything collectively and come to one conclusion, all right? And so uh, I don't believe necessarily that that was their heart to do so, but I think that through oversight, uh, differences of opinion have come, uh, come out. However, you'll find dealing with Hebrews chapter number 6, uh, concerning verses 4 through 9, uh, a lot of commentators, even those that write books specifically, on Hebrews, for some reason, bypass these scriptures altogether. 
And you'll find that a lot of free will Baptist doctrine is formed uh, out of these verses of Scripture as well. And I hope and pray tonight that if the Lord will help me for just a little while, look at these verses of Scripture and uh, make, a, make a few uh, things evident, Lord being our helper. Uh, people have a tendency to think that this passage of Scripture uh, is concrete evidence that salvation can be lost. And, on, and the, the biggest reason a lot of people will, will look at these verses of Scripture and bypass them is they don't have an argument for that concerning these verses of Scripture. And But I want you to know that although people think this passage of Scripture is concrete evidence that salvation can be lost, these verses of Scripture is actually quite the opposite. If we will break them down and look at them in the context in which the book of Hebrews was written. I want to remind you tonight as we look at the book of Hebrews who the book of Hebrews was written to. Now we know that the word of God was written for me and it was written for you. But all of the word of God was not specifically written to me or to you. These are born again believers. These are brethren in Christ in which we are dealing with in the book of Hebrews. But specifically born again believers who were Jewish. And born again believers that had a tendency to follow that of Judaism. And uh, we, we understand that the law had been such a big part of people's lives and the priesthood as we was dealing with this morning that when the book of Hebrews was written, it was written to a people that were falling into apostasy. They were turning back again from the things of Christ and pointing themselves back into the things traditionally that they had been dealing with in their life, such as uh, the priesthood and the law and all the things that they had to do as people uh, to have the remission of sin on their life. And so the, the book of Hebrews is really an outreach, if you will, written to these Jews, some in which, if you will, have been saved by the grace of God and are struggling with some things, and then some of which are seeing the church, the born-again believer that has turned from Judaism to that of Jesus Christ, and they're unsure about what it is that they're seeing. So this is a warning, if you will, to the Jew as to, as to the, the nature uh, of the priesthood because they were engrossed in that of the, the things of God and the law and the, the, the actions of the priest was an important part of their life. And so we had went through a part of chapter 4 and chapter 5 and uh, then we got over here into chapter number 7 this morning and we were talking about how Jesus Christ uh, is our great high priest but he was the great high priest after the order of Melchizedek. That is important, but is it not ironic that we were dealing with chapter 4, 5, and 7, and somehow in there, 6 got left out. 6, obviously, falls between these verses of Scripture that we were dealing with this morning. Contextually, there is something about the priesthood and Jesus Christ being the great high priest after the order of Melchizedek that was being taught to the Jew at Jerusalem before we get into chapter number 6 because what we've learned in chapters 4, 5, and 7 is imperative to the Jew who is in danger of turning back on God. 
And so there's, there's, a, there's a vast teaching. We, look, we don't hear much about the priesthood of the believer. But the reason that the, the priesthood is being broken down so dramatically in the book of Hebrews is because that is what the Jew is relating to in their day-to-day lives. is the office of the priest and how that related to their life personally. See, you understand dispensationally, they've lived a life this way all this time, and now Jesus has come on the scene, and just like that, everything changes, you know. Jesus came to his own, but his own received him not, right? And there was a, there was a reluctance and a hesitation to that of Jesus Christ and the doctrines in which he brought and taught with him while he was on this earth. As we said, when Jesus Christ died and gave up the ghost and the veil was rent from top to bottom, and after that happened, that Roman, that centurion said, truly, surely, this was the Son of God. Why? Because an action had transpired to back up all that this centurion had heard and witnessed. And then suddenly this happens, and we all know that no one, would have the audacity, Brother Shane, to go through the veil that separated uh, the temple from the holiest of holies. No one would have the audacity to do such a thing, for they knew that surely they would die. But now Jesus Christ has died, and when he's died, the veil was rent top to bottom, and it's to signify the access that you and I have as the, the, the royal priesthood uh, into the Holy of Holies this, this today, okay? So understanding that, we, we, let's look at verse number 11 of chapter number 5. All that we've learned here about the great high priest and this great high priest being after the order of Melchizedek, we come to an abrupt stop here in verse number 10 this morning. And there's a bridge that needs to be, uh, to be overlaid, if you will, between those verses of Scripture and the beginning of chapter number 6. So let's look at that for a minute. Okay, verse number 11 of Hebrews chapter number 5 says, Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, Seeing ye are dull of hearing. So everything that we taught and preached on this morning was something that was emphasized to the Jew who was struggling with moving away from the things of the law that they had their traditions and going towards the things of Jesus Christ. And so there was a struggle there. And the writer of Hebrews, in whom I believe to be Paul, but some would argue with that, and I don't have any uh, evidence of it, but the writing is so correlated with that of Romans and some things that we're going to find in, in Ephesians later on in our study tonight that just makes so much sense. But regardless of who you believe wrote uh, the book of Hebrews, we understand it was authored by God, so it'll be good for us tonight, okay? But it says, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. All right, so the Jews simply were having a hard time listening to what it was that was being said to them. And they, they were hard of hearing. They, 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 they couldn't comprehend it. It was just seemed to be uh, too much for them. To talk about the blood and, the, and Christ, they had, to, uh, they had to have it broken down to them even on the level of the priesthood. And so when, when we realize today that there's Jews today that still can't get a grip on it. 
you look at the Roman Catholic Church and all that's going on with that. And I, I wasn't necessarily trying to be facetious this morning when I said what I said about somebody walking in a, in a, in a wooden box and sharing their dirty secrets with a man who claimed to be a priest that could get a hold of God on their behalf. That's just not true today, but people still struggle with it. They still have a problem understanding it. And so this teaching about the order of Melchizedek versus the order of the Aaronic priesthood meant something to the Jew because they were struggling with understanding uh, this, this matter of dropping all the things that they'd done traditionally and moving towards that of Jesus Christ as their great high priest. You know, all the things that one had to go through just to have their sins uh, put, you know, put from them for one more year, a remission of sin for one more year. And then to suddenly, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the finished work of Calvary, be able to approach the throne of grace boldly to find mercy and grace to help in time of need. It, 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 it was an utter shock to them and a drastic difference in all that they had known throughout their lifetime. And so, verse 12 says, For when the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. No, and we like we use these verses of Scripture, and there's nothing wrong with using these verses of Scripture in other parts of our life concerning God's Word. But contextually, what's happening here is the Jews have been saved. These Jews have been saved by 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 uh, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They should be growing in grace and knowledge, and be able to uh, to teach some things about God's book and God's Word. But they're having a struggle and a problem. And so the writer here says, For when the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. In other words, we've got to go all the way back to the beginning. You ought to by now be in a place where you can teach, but we're having to go all the way back to the beginning because you're struggling trying to go back into the things of the law. All right? And, and even Jews that couldn't leave the law and go towards Christ because they could not let go of those traditions. And so for, the Bible says, For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of a full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Okay, so it says, Therefore, and so in other words, everything that we've just learned in chapter number 5 and honing in on 11, 12, and 13, and 14, those verses we just read, said, chapter 6 starts out, therefore leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. So chapter 6 is a continuation of what we've left in chapter number 5. It says, therefore leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on into perfection. In other words, uh, we don't need to keep coming back to this all the time. We shouldn't have to keep relaying the foundation for you all the time and, and continually watching you struggle with it and having a, a desire or, or a tendency or a draw or a pull to fall back into the old traditions. For there was Jews, friend, that had not been saved yet, that did not need to see born-again believers saved by the grace of God trying to fall back on what they knew was truth or what they had been taught as truth. Guess what's happening in the world today? 
There's people that are lost and undone on their way to hell that don't need to see a church, Brother Gene, going back on the truth and falling into apostasy and turning their back on the truth and the Word of God. And so this was a warning to the brethren. See, we're going to find, people will argue, the book of Hebrews is written to the church or to the brethren, the born-again Jew, true. But we're going to find in this passage of Scripture that we're also going to deal with the lost. This is a warning, a sharp warning to the born-again Jew uh, who is, is trying to, to incorporate some old traditions into uh, the, the salvation that they had through the blood of Jesus Christ. And it was going to confuse a lost and dying world who had always been caught up in these traditions and caught up in the things that at one time was necessary, Brother Shane. Let me remind you that the things that they were involving themselves in at one time were necessary, but were no longer necessary because of the blood of Jesus Christ, our now great high priest. So essentially what they're trying to do, the, the, the writer here is warning him, if you don't quit turning your back, you ought to be teachers. You ought to be one that's drawing people through truth to Jesus Christ. But you can't teach because we're constantly having to go back and lay the foundation again for you as to what's really going on. And so the Bible says here that we're leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. Now let, that doesn't mean let us go on down the road. That means let us go on up towards the things of Christ. Grow up in grace and grow up in knowledge of the Lord and Savior. Okay, and so therefore leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on into perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of, uh, and of faith towards God. What is dead works? It was the keeping of the law. The keeping of the law was not uh, permanent to keep them uh, from going to hell. And now that Jesus Christ has come, that, all that's null and void anyway. Say, so how do you know that, preacher? Well, let me read to you quickly chapter number 8, verses 3 and 4. Okay? Chapter number 8, verse number 3 and 4 says, For every high priest is ordained... To offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law. In other words, our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, if he was on earth, he wouldn't be a priest. Because the priests on earth are giving themselves to the things of the law. And Christ Jesus is not giving himself to the things of the law. Christ Jesus shed his blood and he is our intercessor and our intermediator for that of God, to that of God. And so he is our great high priest who sits at the right hand of the throne of God today, ever living to make intercession for you and for me. If he was on the earth, he would not be keeping of the law the way that the, the, the Jew is, is expecting to, 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 uh, to keep moving forward in their religious practices. Okay? And so as we move on here, it says of the... Uh, let's see. Not laying again the foundation of repentance... From dead works and a faith towards God. In other words, 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, as we've read many times, especially recently, 
for, uh, for other foundation can no man lay but his lay, which is Jesus Christ. Now, let me, let me explain to you something. Uh, the Bible says here, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. They were constantly having to be reassured and reaffirmed and retaught in a time when they should be teaching others. But we know that for other foundation can no man lay than that which is Christ Jesus. But they were struggling with, with the truth that all they needed was that of Jesus Christ. People struggle with that today. People still today in 2021 struggle with the fact that all they have to do to escape the charred walls of the dam is put their faith and hope and trust in a man named Jesus Christ. And so there was a great struggle here. They felt that they should do more. There was something they had to do that was more involved than just salvation by grace through faith. And so it's a struggle that we find even today. Alright? And so the Bible says here of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit. Now I'm highly interested here in verse number 4. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again under repentance, seeing they crucified themselves, the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. Now let me pause for just a second and remind you what they're doing. There is a crowd today of Jews that have been saved by the grace of God. There is a crowd of Jews today that are struggling with not going back and trying to put more into this whole process than what's needed. Then there's the Jew that has not been saved by the grace of God who is witnessing this and probably is really highly confused as to what's going on here. And some, I dare say, were totally against the idea that Jesus Christ had come and died for their sins because we see that's still happening today as well. All right, and so no doubt there was a lot of different uh, uh, facets and aspects to this matter. But I do want you to notice that as we were looking at the, the Jesus Christ as our great high priest, we learned that Jesus Christ, our great high priest, was after the order of Melchizedek, right? And you find that when you read the book of Hebrews, it's almost impossible, Brother Shane, to understand the book of Hebrews unless you go back and learn something about the law. You have to, you have to almost couple the book of Leviticus with the book of Hebrews, especially uh, those, you know, the, the Pentateuch, and really couple it with the study of the book of Hebrews to understand what's going on because that is the mindset of the people that this book is written to. They're caught up in those things. They're, that's their life. That's what they know. That's what they relate to. 
And so the book of Hebrews is written in a way that the Jew can relate to in the way that the Gentile probably wouldn't because you and I never practice the things that the Jews practiced. Alright, so it's been broken down on the level, if you'll allow me to say it that way. Now, Jesus, we find, was spectacular in taking things and breaking it down on a level where mankind could reach it. And I, I'll be honest with you, let me pause right here and run a little rabbit. That's what frustrates me about some preachers. They like to, they, they like to dig deep and stay down for a long period of time and come back up and find that they've brought nothing with them. And they leave people unsure of what it is that they were trying to say all along. And the idea is not to see how high and mighty and deep we can go and how above folks' heads we can talk. The idea is to get something out of God's Word on a level that everybody can understand it because God, Jesus Christ, will have all men to be saved. Now, I don't have a problem with educated men, and I've probably got a whole lot of room to improve, okay? But I will say this. We do have to have a desire to teach and preach on a level where people can understand it. That's not an excuse not to study. That's not an excuse to, an excuse to be stupid or say something dumb. But it, it does mean that we ought not endeavor to speak above people's head. Man told me on more than one occasion, and I've heard it elsewhere, you ought to preach to the person in the, in the church that has the smallest IQ and then everybody can get it. And so my point is our goal is to make sure people understand. Anyway, I don't know how I got off on that, but that was good and it was free. It didn't cost you nothing, Okay. But as we, as we move on, it says, For it is impossible those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. What is this talking about? Well, the Old Testament parallels that of the New Testament. And we find that when we read the book of Hebrews, there are things in the book of Hebrews that parallel things in the Old Testament that help us get a better understanding of what the book of Hebrews is talking about. And as, the, as Jesus Christ being the great high priest, we find this morning, it had to take us back to the Psalms and all the way back into the book of Exodus and Numbers. And, and we had to learn something about this man, Melchizedek, which we understand it to be the Son of God. Okay? And so uh, the, the Old Testament helped us open some truths to the New Testament, did it not? Without an understanding of what Melchizedek had done in the Old Testament, you and I would have a hard time understanding what it means for Jesus Christ, our great high priest, to be after the order of Melchizedek. What does that mean? Well, it's not in the Word of God for nothing. We had to go in there and dig that out and find out what that meant. And so, and, and let me pause also while I'm thinking about this. You better learn to take God's Word at face value. And it's a great thing to study uh, literature and things from other people. And that's fine and well. But you trust God. And when God could swear by none greater, He swore by Himself. You and I have to be careful who we study after and what we read after because essentially man has the ability of saying something wrong. And so when you read common, uh, commentaries, it's all right to read commentaries, but you don't take what the commentator says as the final authority. You take God's Word. And if you'll study, you'll find that sometimes you run across things that the commentators get wrong. Listen, I love C.I. Schofield Bibles. I'm a King James Bible man, and I like C.I. Schofield's uh, references, but not everything C.I. Schofield says is the gospel. There's some things in there that ain't exactly all together Right, and so we got to dig these things out. So we take what we find in the book of Hebrews 
And we go back and we look at some Old Testament truths and it helps us unlock what the Bible is teaching us in the New Testament. So why is that important? Where am I going with that? Well, you've got to learn and understand how this is worded. In verses 4 and 5, these are key verses to help us unlock the truth as to what verses six, uh, is really, verse 6 is really saying to us. This is not a picture of a born-again believer losing their salvation. And people take these verses of Scripture and twist them because on the surface it looks as if that applies in this in these verses. But contextually, excuse me, it doesn't fit. So let's look at what it says. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away. What's that mean? Well, we need to go back and we need to look at something here. First of all, verse number four says, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened. What does enlightened mean? The definition of enlightened is simply this. <clears throat> Rendered light, illuminated, instructed, informed. Now let me, let me explain to you something. What is it that David said? He said, thy word is a what? Lamp <coughs> under my feet. And a light under my path. So, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened. What's that mean? Those who were given the truth. It's impossible for those who were given the truth and have tasted of the heavenly gift. You say, oh, but David said, taste and see that the Lord is good. True. But contextually, we've got to go back to the Old Testament and find out what God has to say. Let's look at something here for a minute in Deuteronomy chapter number 1. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter number 1 for just a moment. Now, if you can bear with me through just a little bit of lengthy reading, I will do my best to get all this out tonight and we'll move on. The Bible says here uh, in Deuteronomy chapter number 1 and verse number 19, And when we departed from Horeb, we went through all that great and terrible wilderness which ye saw by the way of the mountain of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us as we came to Kadesh Barnea. And I said unto you, Ye are come unto the mountain of the Amorites, which the Lord our God doth give unto us. In other words, victory was already given them should they go and fight. Okay? The children of Israel here. It says, Behold, the Lord thy God has set the land before thee. Understanding this is a time when Moses has taken the children of Israel. Uh, they, they've left Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea. They're on their way uh, to the promised land. And we understand that uh, there were some men who were going to go spy out the land of Canaan. Alright, and so this says here, Behold, verse 21, Behold, the Lord thy God has set the land before thee, go up and possess it, as the Lord God of thy fathers has said unto thee, Fear not, neither be discouraged. Obviously, there were some things over there, Brother Shane, that were going to look to them to be greater, bigger, and stronger than they were, so they were warned before they went not to get discouraged. It was already said unto them that the Lord had given uh, given them over to the children of Israel, okay? But it says that he came near unto me, every one of you, and said, We will send men before us, and they shall search us out the land. 
And bring us word again by what way we must go up and into what cities we shall come. And the saying pleased me well. And I took twelve men of you, one of a tribe. And they turned and went up into the mountain and came under the valley of Eshcol and searched it out. And they took of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down unto us and brought us word again and said it is a good land which the Lord our God doth give us. Pause for just a moment. Remind you, contextually, the writer of Hebrews is talking to the Jew about things that the Jew can relate to. Friend, the Jew in this day was well versed in their history concerning their lineage and what was required out of them. You need to understand that. And so when we look at Hebrews chapter number 6 and verses 4 and 5, this is written in a manner that the Jew can understand what the writer of Hebrews is saying to them contextually on a level that they can relate to. That is important that you understand that. Alright? Context is everything right here. Alright, and so we move on. It says in verse 24, And they turned and went into the mountain and came into the valley of Eshcol and searched it out. And they took of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down unto us and brought us word again and said it is a good land which the Lord our God doth give us. Notwithstanding, you would not go up, but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord, your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us, he hath brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Whither shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our heart, saying the people is greater and taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to heaven, and moreover we have seen the sons of the Anakims there. Okay, now this same story, let's look at Numbers, chapter number 13. Numbers, chapter number 13. Let's start in verse number 23. It says, And they came unto the brook of Eshcol, and cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes. And they bear it between two upon a staff, and they brought of the pomegranates and of the figs. The place was called the brook of Eshcol because of the cluster of grapes which the children of Israel cut down from thence, and they returned from searching of the land after 40 days. So they'd gone in to spy out the land that they'd already been promised, Brother Gene, by God to have. All they had to do was go into the land and take it. But they didn't do so. All people's got to do today is accept the Lord Jesus Christ, but they balk at it 
and they're almost persuaded, but something holds them out because it just seems too simple, and in their mind, it just seems too complicated. The answer's too simple, and the problem's too complicated in their mind, and they get messed up in their own ideology. That's why, as we preached the other night, we was talking about one that gets saved has to come with childlike faith. For when you get older, friend, the danger is that you try to use your own intellect and your own mindset to figure out a spiritual situation that you and I don't have the mindset to understand in the first place today, friend. He said he would destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. In other words, friend, what we can do in our mind doesn't even get us close to understanding the things of God. And so the problem is these people have done some figuring and they've done some looking and they've done some seeing. And instead of going by faith, they was going to go by sight. And rather than accepting God at his word, that one that brought across the Red Sea unharmed, the sea that swallowed up uh, the army friend of Egypt, suddenly now they have to go and eyeball it for their self to determine if this is going to work out for them or not. They've lost their faith. They was running by sight. Folk won't get saved if they're looking to get saved by sight or by self-righteousness or by works of the law. But folk get saved when they accept the finished work of Calvary and Jesus Christ and Him crucified, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And come to a place of repentance because as we've stated, the Holy Spirit comes to reprove the world of sin. So what, what has all that got to do with anything? Well, Brother Wes Strickland said it like this. He said they come out of the land with grapes the size of basketballs. The, the, they had to have a stave, Brother Shane, and put one man on one end of the stave and one man on the other, and they brought the grapes, the cluster of grapes, out of the land back unto the children of Israel and said, look at what the land holds. Look, this is a picture of the promises of God, but they had not obtained the land. Now, as we look at this contextually in Hebrews chapter number six, if I can get my place, find my place back over here. Bible says, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened. That's the truth. And have tasted of a heavenly gift. What did the children of Israel do when they sent the spies into the land to spy it out? Why they seen the good things of God. They got so close to having the land, Brother uh, brother Gene, they could taste of it. You ever been so close to something you could taste it, you want it? We know that old adage, well, I want it so bad I can taste it, you know. Southern expression that we use. Where do you think that come from? It come right out of the Word of God. To get so close to something that you could just taste it is an adage that come out of the very Scripture itself. Because they got over to the land in which God had promised them. They had spied it out. They had seen, yes, there was things bigger than them there. But look, God had promised it to them. It was already theirs if they would take it. And they come back with a stave with grapes on it so large that they couldn't carry them out by hand. Pomegranates, figs. I mean, listen, they've been out in the wilderness. It'd been awful good to have some grapes to match and have something to drink, would it not? Brother Gene, you drunk water all the time. Wouldn't a little grape juice be good? Amen. What I'm, what are you saying today? I'm saying there was provision there. 
So close that they could taste it. But they turned around after having been enlightened and after having been told the truth and after having seen all the good things of that land still decided not to take it because they wouldn't take it by faith. They were trying to take it by sight. And so the Bible says, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and had tasted of a heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. What does the Holy Ghost do? The Holy Ghost comes to reprove the world of sin. It's a convicting power of, of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit comes and draws one to repentance. He couples himself with the truth. We've been teaching on that. And so here we see that there's a Jew that, that, that it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and he takes another heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. Notice there's nothing in here about faith. I want you to notice that. Nothing in 4 and 5 is there anything about faith. It's all about being enlightened and being close enough to taste it and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God. What did they taste? The good word of God. You know what draws a sinner to repentance? God's word. Amen. The truth and the principles of God's word. Oh yeah, the Bible says we're living written epistles, not in red of men. You're, you're, you, you listen to me. You are a walking, talking opportunity for somebody to get some scripture this week. Right. So, and they've tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. Listen now, if they shall fall away. This isn't from grace. This is turning back away from the truth. What did these children of Israel do? These spies. They went into the land. They spied out the land. They tasted of the grapes. They seen the goodness of God. And they still did not accept it. And they come back. Now notice, out of the twelve tribes, was it not Caleb that said, let's go take this thing? Let's go take this thing. The majority said no, but there was one that said, hey, let's go take it. Right here in the book of Hebrews, as we're seeing this contextually back in here to, to the children of Israel, some would accept, but not all. Some are willing to take Jesus Christ at His word. Some are willing to take the truth. Some are willing to accept Him on the basis of what the Bible said, but some are not. And that's the same thing that happened over here. That's why I say the book of Hebrews in chapter number 6 contextually isn't just to the believer. But there's something in here for that one who's so close to accepting Christ but can't accept Him because they can't get past the sight to accept Him by faith. And said, And have tasted the good word of God and the power of the Lord to come, they shall fall away to renew them again under repentance. Well, what were they doing when they fall away, Brother Shane? When the Jew wouldn't accept Christ, they went back to the priest and begin to offer sacrifices again. And the Bible says that they shall fall away to renew them again under repentance, seeing they crucified themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. What happens is they go back and start believing yet again that what they have to do is keep offering sacrifices over and over and over again. And it made what Christ done null and void in their mind and in their heart. And they begin to fall back on their traditions and rather accept Christ and the finished work of Calvary. And if they believe that a lamb or, or a bullet had to be sacrificed over and over and over again, then Jesus Christ dying the one time for man's sin didn't do it for them. And Jesus Christ isn't going to be sacrificed the second time. 
He was sacrificed once and for all. He's the great high priest. End of the story. Nothing more and nothing less. But their mindset was no more than Christ being crucified again and again and again for their salvation. And the Bible says that ain't going to happen. And so if they shall fall away to renew them again under repentance, seeing they crucified themselves the Son of God afresh and put Him to an open shame. It'd be a shame for Jesus Christ to have to do what He'd done a second time. Why? Because He accomplished it when He went to Calvary the one time. Amen. It's done. It's over. It says, For the earth which strengthens in the rain cometh off upon it and bringeth forth herds, meat for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is not a person whose end is to be burned. Listen, but beloved, we are persuaded better things of you. And things which accompany salvation. What are they what are they persuaded of? Contested, they're persuaded of better things of the Jew than falling back upon this old tradition. But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. Now, let me read to you Romans chapter number one. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of of God. This is why I say I believe in my heart Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. He said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, and it is written, The just shall live by faith. Faith was the whole problem. It's not a falling away from grace. It's not that what God done in your salvation wasn't good enough. It's the fact that they couldn't accept what he'd done by faith. So quickly, go to Ephesians chapter number 2 and I'll be done. Ephesians chapter number 2. Let me just, let me just start in verse 1 real quick. It said, And yet he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But listen here. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, or really loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and has raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. It says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh. Now notice this, we're talking to Gentiles right here, we're not talking to the Jews, but the same thing applies to both. It says, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, ye are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh, made by hands that at the time you were without Christ, 
being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. The very thing that was offered to the Gentile was the same thing offered to the Jew. And if you had been in a tradition by following the law in which did not have much, which the Jew, I mean, excuse me, which the Gentiles did not observe, it'd be strange to you to suddenly find out that the thing that was going to save you is the same thing that's going to save the Gentiles. He said, For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. Even the law of commandments contained an ordinance for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh, for through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Whoa, guess what we just recognized right here? We're dealing with the priesthood of the believer again. We're just not breaking it down like we did in the book of Hebrews because it's not contextually understandable to the Gentile the way it would be the Jew to talk about the priesthood of the believer. It says, now therefore, now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We go back to the foundation. The very thing that was warned to the Jew at Jerusalem, that they need not have to constantly be taught the foundational things again, the principles of, of Jesus Christ and the doctrines of Christ. The same thing we find that is happening in Hebrews 6 is happening or talked about in Ephesians chapter number 2. The difference being is that the Jew could not, some of the Jews could not accept what Christ had done by faith. And essentially it has nothing to do with falling from grace as much as it has to do with getting them saved in the first place and taking their eyes off of the problems and using the wisdom of their minds and accepting Christ Jesus and Him crucified in the blood but shed at Calvary as the ultimate sacrifice, as Him being the great high priest, and as them becoming uh, uh, members of the priest, the order of the, uh, the priesthood of the order of Melchizedek. And so essentially the Bible says they shall fall away to renew them again under repentance, seeing they crucified themselves the Son of God afresh. He died one time with shame. One time's all it's going to take. And until people put their hope and faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Him crucified, nothing else will get the job done. Nothing else. I'm done tonight. Sister, if you'll come, you just play one quick verse of invitation. I'm going to read to you Romans chapter number 8 while she finds her place. Romans chapter number 8. I'm going to read to you verses 34 through 39. It says, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Notice again, it's our great high priest who makes intercession for us. That's the context in which we're dealing with this. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? 
As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Notice this. This is the polar opposite of how Hebrews chapter number 6 is taken. It says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When you get saved by the grace of God and come to Him by faith, not by sight, friend, you never, never have to worry about your salvation being taken from you. You need to 